Good morning, church. My name is Dave. It's great to be with you. And just this past week, I had the chance to take my youngest daughter, Peyton, off on a little father-daughter camping trip. This is a trip that I've done with all three of my kids now, and it's a trip I do with them right before they go off to middle school. I know it's hard to believe that my youngest is going into middle school next year. And on this trip, we do a number of things. Uh, First and foremost, we like to just have a lot of fun and make some memories together. This time, PJ and I took a stand-up paddleboard because both of us love to swim. And so we spent hours every day on the paddleboard, cruising down the coastline and then out and around this island in Detroit Lake, stopping for swim breaks, jumping off the rocks, pretending like we were on this grand adventure together. It was a ton of fun. It's also a trip where I like to connect relationally with my kids. I like to go deep with them when all the distractions of the outside world and even normally family life are removed. You can always go a little deeper together. But most importantly, this trip is always a chance for me to talk with my kids as they move out of elementary school and into middle school about what a maturing relationship with Jesus looks like. I give them a prayer journal and we practice using that together. They're encouraged to ask me questions about God and church and faith and what it means to follow the Lord in their lives. And then we dive in and talk about the Bible. We talk about the grand narrative of the scriptures. We talk about how it all kind of lays out and fits together. And then we dive in to some specific passages. And this year, one of the sections of scripture that Peyton and I looked at together is a section in the New Testament called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. And as we did, as we looked at the Sermon on the Mount together, I believe the Holy Spirit showed me four verses and then said to me, Dave, this is exactly what the church needs to hear at a time like this. So I know that we're not at Detroit Lake. We haven't been paddle boarding together and swimming all day. And most of you are probably happy about that. But nevertheless, would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. These are red letter words. In other words, they come right from the mouth of Jesus. And, And I'll remind you that in this sermon, Jesus is talking about the kingdom life. He's talking about what it looks like to live as one of his followers who's been transformed and changed by the love and grace of mer- and mercy of God in their life. So here we go. Four verses, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, there's a lot in this passage we could talk about, but this morning I want to offer you three questions I believe Jesus answers in these verses. Here they are. One, where do we live? Two, who do we need? And three, what does it look like? Where do we live? Who do we need? What does it look like? Let's get going. Jesus starts off this passage talking about salt. 
And salt in Jesus' day was primarily used as a preservative. It killed bacteria. And so people of the ancient world, since they didn't have refrigeration, would use it to slow the decay of their food. Historians tell us that that most cities were dependent on salt for survival. And this made salt a very valuable commodity. In fact, the Latin word for salt is the word sal. It's where we get our word salary from because salt was often used to pay people's wages. In fact, the, the the Romans would pay their soldiers with salt. You may have heard the expression, he is worth his salt or she is worth her salt. This is where that expression comes from. So Jesus here is talking about salt, this valuable substance that prevents decay. And then he moves on to talk about light. And light is another thing that we often take for granted in our world, but it was extremely valuable in the ancient world because back then they didn't have street lights and microwave clocks and power buttons that were glowing and illuminated 24-7. So in the ancient world, when the sun went down, it got dark. And if there were clouds in the sky and the stars weren't shining, then it got really dark. A number of years ago, I'll never forget this experience. Before Amy and I had kids, we went on a little cave tour, a speedlunking tour, if you will. And at one point in the tour, they took us into this room and sat us on some benches and they turned off all the lanterns and they said, this is total darkness. There's not a single light particle in this room right now. And I remember sitting there in total darkness for just a few minutes and how completely disorienting it was. You see, when Jesus says that the world needs salt and the world needs light, what he's telling us is something that we should all know but are prone to forget, and that's this. This world we live in is a world of darkness and decay. Salt and light are needed because we live in a world of darkness and decay. One of the things I talked with Peyton about on our recent trip was Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. The creation story and then the fall of mankind. And she had a lot of questions about sin and how it works. And we talked about how sin isn't just limited to bad decisions that we make or wrong things that we do, but that sin is like a disease that has infected and infiltrated every part of our world. How our entire world, our entire planet, our societies, and all of our lives have now been corrupted by this dark, decaying force. And friends, what you notice as you read the Bible is that that force is so strong, so powerful, That already by Genesis chapter 4, just four chapters into the scriptures, we see jealousy move a man to kill his own brother. That's the level of darkness and decay that our world has and is experiencing. And I bring this up because I believe that we are too often fooled. We're too often fooled into believing that the world is a good place, that it's a growing place, that it's evolving, that that we're making advancements and that we're getting better together. And when we think this way, we point to things like technology. I mean, we all have phones now, don't we? I mean, we have access to information and entertainment all the time. We must be getting better. Or we we look at medical technology, medical advances. I mean, it used to be that when the cartilage in your hip wore out, you just suffered through and limped along until you died. 
But now, now you can get a brand new titanium hip that gives you the ability to once again beat your 13-year-old son in one-on-one -on -one basketball. Boom, I'm living proof. We are getting better, aren't we? I don't think so. But this is what the entitlement was really all about. In the 17th and 18th centuries, there was this shift in thinking, this shift in worldview. When people started to, to imagine and think, you know, we know the kind of world we want, we know the kind of society we want, and we're going to create it through our own creativity and education and scientific advancement. We can get there on our own. It was a period when people started saying things like, all this talk about sin and depravity, that's just bringing us down. If we're just positive by our own strength and ingenuity, we can fix the problems of the world on our own. Well, friends, hundreds of years later, let me ask you this question. How do you think we're doing? How are we doing at fixing those problems? How are we doing relationally? Do families seem more connected or less connected? Do marriages seem to be growing in security and health and intimacy or are they declining? How are we doing politically? Are we achieving the unity and togetherness our founding fathers dreamed of and envisioned for us? Is there more global peace and harmony? Or is there a continued struggle for power? Or how about socially? Think about crime, racism, abuse, class struggle. Are we really getting better? Are we truly improving? Just this past week, two more shootings, leading to more pain, more division, more polarization in our world. Tragic, tragic events. Friends, when Jesus tells us here that this world needs salt and light, that truth has never been more obvious to me. And I know, I know I'm not as old as some of you are. I haven't lived through as many hard times, but I'll tell you this, in 23 years now of ministry in the church, I have never before seen people so tense, so tired, so divided, so defensive, so scared, so sensitive, so insecure. In spite of all our advancements in technology, in spite of all our effort and achievement, this world continues to be full of darkness and defined by decay. And the problem is that for many of us, this reality lives beneath the surface. We're fooled into thinking that maybe this is just normal. We've gotten used to it. We've gotten used to this global pandemic and the social distancing and this racial injustice and this political strife, and now they are just the norm. But friends, the Bible tells us this is not what we were created for. These things are not meant for you and me, and they're taking a toll on us. They're taking a toll on you and me and the world around us. And I believe Jesus is calling us to be aware of the times that we're living in. Now, some of you are probably at this point saying, this is the message that God laid on your heart for us, Pastor Dave, because this is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. And let me say this to you. Hold on, stay with me, because hope is coming. This is where we find our hope. Question two, who do we need? Who do we need? Who can offer us pres perseverance and preservation amidst our decay and light in our darkness? And to answer this question, we have to look a little closer at our passage. Because at first glance, this passage almost seems to say that 
We are the hope, that we're the rescuers. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. But if we dig a little deeper, if we go a layer down, we'll also notice something else. Look at verse 15 with me. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. See, if we really dig in and look closer at what Jesus is telling us here, we actually discover that we are not the light in this analogy. We're the lamp. And just so we're clear, a lamp in Jesus' day was simply a jar of oil with a wick floating in it, and, and its entire job was just to stay lit. Its entire job was just to keep the flame going, to just stay connected to the flame. Friends, a lamp cannot produce light. A lamp can only hold light. And what Jesus is calling us to do as his followers in this passage is, I believe, to remember that in a dark and decaying and divided world, our job, first and foremost, our prime directive is to simply stay lit, to keep our connection to Jesus himself, to let the fire of Jesus burn brightly in us. You know, one of the things I've learned about myself is that I can tend to be a really positive, upbeat, glass half full kind of person. That's naturally how my personality is wired. And a lot of times that can be a really good thing. But sometimes what that reality means is that I'm actually not as in touch with my feelings, with the hard and difficult things that I'm feeling feeling as I should be. Sometimes those hard things stay undetected or under the surface and they go unnoticed by me. And last week, as I took Peyton away for this trip, I remember thinking to myself, this is going to be a really good trip for her. This is gonna be a really good chance for her to connect with God and allow his flame to fire her up. But we got there out in the forest with our Bibles and our prayer journals. And here's what I discovered that God was saying, Dave, this is going to be a really good trip for you. And what I experienced was the power of having some extended time away to pray and write and connect with Jesus in a way that wasn't hurried or rushed. And it lit my lamp. It fired me up in a way that I did not even know that I needed. You see, friends, time and time again, the scriptures tell us, Jesus is the light of the world. John chapter one, John chapter nine, that he is the one who pierces and pushes back the darkness. So our job isn't to try and glow on our own because God isn't really looking for good rule followers or really religious people. That's not who he's looking for. Time and time again, Jesus says this, stay connected to me, John 15, five. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. If you remain in me, And I in you, if you stay connected to me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you're just a lamp without a flame. And so let me ask you, how are you doing? And I'll ask you the way Pastor Ron Carlson used to ask me, how are you doing really? How are you doing at connecting deeply and honestly and emotionally and consistently with Jesus? Because the power of darkness and the power of decay in our world right now is significant 
It's huge. And only Jesus can light the way. Friends, the point of these words, again, is not try really hard to be salty and shiny. The point of these words is stay connected to the one who brings salt and light into your life. Final question. What does it look like? What does it look like to have the saltiness of Jesus alive and active in our existence, in our lives? Well, I'm going to talk about salt a little bit here. A couple points that I believe will help us. First of all, Salt is not just a preservative, it's also a seasoning. It's kind of the original seasoning. And it's a special kind of seasoning because it brings out the taste in what you add it to. It enhances the other. On our camping trip, one night, Peyton and I were all set to have brats. I asked her what she wanted for dinner and she named a few things. Brats were on the list and I love brats. So we brought Johnsonville brats to cook on the campfire. And most of the time when I eat Johnsonville brats, I I cover them with mustard and onions and sometimes even sauerkraut. But because this was a camping trip that my wife wasn't on, I forgot a few things. Um, Classic dad move, no condiments. And so we just had brats with salt on them. And friends, I was disappointed at first and so was Peyton, but here's what we discovered. Brats are really good, especially when some salt is on there to accentuate and bring out the taste. That salt just accentuated, just brought out the flavor of that brat, pun intended. Because here's the deal with salt. Salt is selfless. Self doesn't try to preserve itself, it preserves the other. Salt doesn't try to get you to taste it. It enhances the taste of the food that you're eating. Friends, this means that one of the things Jesus is teaching us here is this. He's saying, to be a follower of mine, to have my saltiness in your life, means that you will bring out the best in people and groups around you. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, you are the stability in your neighborhood. You are the glue in your office. Because a Christian doesn't look at a situation and say, what can I get out of it? But the Christian acts like salt and gets in there and says, how can I bring out the best in this organization, in this group, out of these people? Friends, one of the ways I believe we are biblically called to live out this this point that Jesus is making is through the very simple and yet profound act of encouragement. Encouragement. The author of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13 says, chapter 3, verse 13 says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another, one another daily so that the darkness and decay of this world can't bring you down. Friends, in this time that we're living through right now, this time of intense darkness and decay and distance and division, people need encouragement more than ever before. Just this past week, Andy San, one of our elders, sent me an article about how pastors are more discouraged in this time than ever before. And as I read through the article, it, it rang true for me. There were some things about it that really connected, but it also made me so thankful. Thankful for our church because so many of you have reached out to encourage me. And maybe for you, it just seemed like a note or a text or a card. But honestly, 
some of those words for me were just the boost, just the lift, just the reminder that I needed to press in and keep going and not be discouraged. So I have to say, thank you. Thank you for being an encourager. Thank you, Stan McAllister. Thank you, Jane Story. Thank you, Gary Soper. Thank you, Donnie Brown. Thank you, Mike and Marnell Davis. Thank you, Elizabeth Stevens. Thank you, Pete Amon. Thank you, Mike and Tanya Patterson. Thank you, David and Brigitte Lind. Thank you, Rhonda Hood. Thank you, Luis Palau. Thank you, Glenn and Catherine Betcher. Thank you, Carl Palmer. Thank you, Bob and Cookie Wall. Thank you, Rich and Kathy Berry. Thank you, Steve Hanamura. Thank you, Katie Crane. Thank you, Bonnie Bissell and Armin Kalesi and Monica Pittman and my dear brother, Ezekiel Ongo, all the way across the ocean in Nigeria and so many, many, many more of you that I don't even have time to list. Friends, we need encouragement now than more than ever before. And so let me ask you, let me challenge you. Who is God prompting you to encourage in these days? Who needs a note or a call or a text or a card? Ask the Holy Spirit to direct you. Who needs you to be salty in their life and bring out the best in them because that's what Jesus does in you and that's what he wants to do through you in the lives of people around you. The second thing we learn from this image that Jesus uses of salt is that he's clearly saying we must work together. There is a call to unity here. Don't miss it. Both times when Jesus says you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's a plural you. It's a collective you. It's all of us joined together. And that makes sense because you never season food with just one grain of salt. That doesn't do anything. But when I'm a grain and you're a grain and she's a grain and he's a grain and the saltiness of Jesus begins to flow through our entire church. That's when a whole city gets seasoned. That's when a society starts to shift. That's when constructive political dialogue starts to happen and racial reconciliation can truly begin to occur. That's what happens when salt comes together. One little salty moment at a time, but they all add up. And God works through his people, through his church. So remember, you are not alone. You are part of a family and families fight to stay together, even when times are tough. And so as we close, let me ask you again, how's your lamp? How's your saltiness? Are you lit? Is the light of Jesus shining brightly in you? Are you connected to him? And maybe the first question is, have you ever been lit? Have you ever invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Have you ever trusted his death and resurrection for your salvation? If not, if not, invite him in. Invite the light of the world into your life. Trust him, believe in him, receive him as Lord. And if you need help with that, we would love to walk you through that process. And if you have trusted Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, how strong is your flame these days? How connected are you to the light of the world? 
You see, maybe in this message, Jesus wants to speak to you and he wants to call you back to himself. Maybe in this message, Jesus is saying, we've gotten too distant, it's been too long, or it's not often enough that we talk. You see, Jesus knows that this world is dark and decaying. And he also knows that he is the only answer. So church, do whatever you have to do to stay connected to Jesus and allow him to shine and salt through you.